0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So we're turning to the book of Ephesians. We're looking at chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Now the words will come up on the screen, and it's tremendous that you can see that. But we would encourage you to get a copy of your own scriptures and follow the reading in that as well. And not only will you hear the words, but you will also see them. And then you could make a little note if you want to underline a particular verse in your Bible. We're reading, of course, from the authorized version of the Scriptures, a most reliable and faithful translation of the Scriptures of truth. Let's hear the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and have put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible and inerrant word. Now my text this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. And my theme today is entitled, Discovering How Rich You Are in Christ. These words form part of one of the recorded intercessory prayers of the Apostle Paul for the church at Ephesus. He has just informed them in one very, very long sentence that's found in chapter 1 verses 3 right through to verse 14 that the Lord has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now these are real blessings blessings. They are spiritual, practical, eternal blessings. These include being chosen in him from before the foundation of the world, the doctrine of predestination, the doctrine of adoption, being accepted in the beloved, the doctrine of redemption through his blood, the knowledge of the forgiveness of sins, the riches of his grace, the knowledge of the mystery of his will, our spiritual union and oneness in Christ, an inheritance reserved in heaven for us, being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So for these reasons, Paul begins to tell them how he prayed for them. He's saying to them, because God has given us such a wealth of spiritual blessings, He's asking and praying that, in light of these blessings, that's what the word "wherefore" is for in verse fifteen. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give them and us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's the first thing he prays for: the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, remember, these are born again believers; they're already saved. They already know him. They already have a a knowledge of him. And yet Paul prays that the Lord would grant them and us a deeper, a greater experimental knowledge of him. What is our supreme need in the journey of life? The answer is, I believe, to know God. In John 17, verse 3, it's written, and this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. How well do you know God? How deeply do you know God? How greatly do you know God? Do you know God better? Do you know God truly? See, the Apostle Paul has been a believer for about 25 years when he prayed this for the church at Ephesus. He himself said that I might know him. You see, he wanted to know the Lord in a greater and a deeper and in a better and in a, in, a, in a truther way. Every true believer is so urged to grow in their knowledge of the Lord. Knowing God more deeply is one of the main themes of the Apostle Paul's prayer. How well do we know the Lord? You see, when I think of our praying, often we pray for material things. Lord, help me in my job today. Lord, help me in school when I'm in school or university. Lord, help me with this exam. Lord, help me to sell this item. Lord, heal me. Lord, protect me in this journey. Lord, provide for me. Now, there's nothing wrong with this type of praying. Lord, bless me. Lord, bless this missionary or that missionary. There's nothing wrong with that type of praying. But I want to tell you, it's praying in the shallows of our relationship with the Lord. The Apostle Paul's prayers were different. They were substantive. They're full of true spirituality. The Apostle Paul prays big prayers. Now remember today that a true Bible, believing Christianity, is not a religion. We hate man-made religion. It's a relationship. A personal relationship, a loving personal relationship. And I want to tell you that relationship doesn't run on autopilot. Can you recall the time you first fell in love with your um, wife? Think of the newness and the excitement and the joy and happiness of that relationship. And, and then you discover then, after being married for a few years, that that relationship takes effort. You've got to work hard in that relationship. And in the marriage bond, you want to grow, grow closer. You want to get to know your spouse better. And of course, the danger in the relationship is that the first love dies and then there's a distance in that relationship. It becomes a mere existence. And then it's lost its joy. It's lost its appeal. And yet there's so much more in that relationship. There's growing in that relationship. Getting to know each other deeply and greatly and better and truly. The second thing that he prays about is that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Enlightened. The third thing that he prays about is that you might know what is the hope of your calling. The fourth thing that he prays about is what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The fifth thing that he prays about is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Now today, I want us to focus on the fourth spiritual item that Paul prayed about for the people of God at Ephesus, not just them, but us as well. He wanted them and us to discover their riches in Christ. Let me ask the question, just how rich are you? Now, the word riches is used 95 times in the Bible. Five of them are in the book of Ephesians. The word inheritance is used about 203 times in the Bible, and four of them are in the book of Ephesians. Here's one of them. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 18, And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now you see, when you think of riches this morning, you're thinking of material things. You're thinking of money. If I had listened to a dear friend of mine in about 2010, I can honestly tell you I would have been a multi-millionaire today. Now sadly I didn't. But do you know that I am very rich spiritually in Christ? I may not be rich monetarily or in this world's eyes, but I am very spiritually rich in Christ. And one day I'm going to be very, very rich because it's all going to be revealed one day by God in heaven. And here's the Apostle Paul, and he's praying that this whole church, every believer in it, every true living saint, would discover how rich they are in Christ. And that's one of the things that Paul prays about, and that's what I want us to focus on this morning. Out of these five big prayers that he prays, here's one of them. Discover how rich you are in Christ. Now notice three things. Think of the focus of your riches in Christ. If you look at our text, it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now, we'll pause there. What does that mean? Well, it literally means the eyes of your heart. It's a reference to the intellect, the will, the emotions, the affections, the mind. You see, to know God deeply, to know God well and truly and better, God must open our eyes. Remember that sin blinds the minds of unbelievers. Sin renders us incapable of knowing God. Sin renders us with a lack of understanding in regard to the great truths of the gospel so that God must open their eyes. Isn't this what Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 18? Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And over there in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul made this tremendous statement in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ as the image of God should shine unto them For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen to these words. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, got to think of the first creation, have shined in our hearts, to do what? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now remember, Paul is writing to believers. People who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. People who know God. And God has opened their eyes to a degree. But Paul is praying for a deeper understanding of these truths. He's praying that the eyes of our heart, the believer's total inner being, his intellect, his will, his emotions, his mind, is all opened up with a deeper and a greater and a better understanding of these things. This is more than just an intellectual ability to grasp and understand and know things. You can know things that don't thrill you. You think of a professor that knows Greek, professor that knows Hebrew. He's got the intellectual ability to teach it, maybe even to speak the language, but it doesn't thrill that individual. That's what Paul's thinking about. He's thinking about something that thrills your heart and mind. Something that gives you a deeper spiritual grasp of this. Something that so thrills you and stirs you and keeps you and brings you into a deeper and greater submission and love to Christ. Every believer, of course, needs the Holy Spirit to enlighten the eyes of our heart so that we can see truth so that we can grasp the great truths of the Bible in so many areas, including this one. Grasp, realize, and discover your true riches in Christ. You need to get a hold of this. This is revolutionary, my dear friend. It's true that our hearts and minds can't retain a lot of what we hear, and we need to learn things. And you need to learn this today. You need to discover this. You've got to think of the vastness of the rich blessings that's ours in Christ, that God has for us in Christ. Let me explain. Think of a fisherman. He's fishing on a three-mile wide lake. He's got one little boat he's got one little rod. Now think of that same fisherman. That's his experience for years of fishing. Think of that same fisherman. And he's now in a 3,000 mile wide ocean. He's now in a huge boat. And he no longer has a fishing rod. He's got a fishing net. And he's fishing in seas that have got waves at times that could be 30 to 50 feet high. You see, Originally, that fisherman had such a shallow understanding of things pertaining to fishing. But now he's got a a deeper understanding of fishing in the ocean. And what is true of him is true of us. We have such a shallow understanding of our spiritual blessings in Christ. We have such a a poor grasp and perspective on our riches in Christ. And we need enlightenment. Let me illustrate again. Suppose you get a letter It's from a solicitor He invites you to your reading of a will You've got the date, the place, the time And you've got to confirm So you make the phone call, you send the email You think of nothing else But from the first time you've Heard this information Via this letter You're thinking of it You're pondering it Think of the night before It'd Probably be hard to sleep You might be up making tea and pacing the floor. You're thinking, tomorrow's going to change my life. The day comes, you meet the solicitor, you get into your room, the will is being read. Other family members are there. It's strange that at that time, they'd all be in attendance. Nobody would be absent. They'd probably be all attentive. Here's the solicitor. He gets out the page, not a lot of words on it, and he reads this. Being of sound mind, I bequeath to my heirs, and there's a list of names, say ten, an equal portion of all my estate and all my earthly possessions, according to the law of the land. So You're sitting there thinking, I'm getting an equal share. What does that mean? That means I'm rich. How much? Well, of course, the solicitor would got to estimate the deceased's estate. He's got to think about the money that he has in the bank. Whether he has other additional properties, whether he's got shares. So he's sitting there informing this family, I've got to do my research and then I will get back to you. But I estimate that it's worth a hundred million. So one of you is going to get ten million each, minus of course my fees and other costs. Now think of that. You see, here's Paul saying, we've got an inheritance. He mentions the word inheritance in the verse 18. Can you underline that? And he's already told them in a previous verse that we've got the down payment of the inheritance. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, and it says there in verse 18, uh, 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Now, do you see that? And one day we're going to acquire. And fully possess our inheritance. Now it's ours now. But we've not fully taken ownership of it. There's so much more that awaits us. And one day we'll enter into the fullness of it. One day we're going to enjoy it. One day we'll experience the full benefits of our inheritance. And Paul is saying, now we need our eyes opened to comprehend to grasp that, to understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance. You see, the truth is it blows our mind. The truth is that we can't take it all in. There's a story told about a very wealthy landowner in the United States of America. And he set all his slaves free before the abolition of slavery. They all left him, went their way, all but one. One stayed, he loved his master. And when the wealthy estate owner died, he willed all that he had to that one man who was a former slave, his entire estate, his house, his lands, large sum of money in the bank. The inheritance was all his. And the man was free, and the man was one of the most wealthiest in that particular state. Did you know that that man often went to the bank? And this is what he said to the cashier. May I borrow a little more of my money? You see, that man couldn't grasp, couldn't understand, he couldn't take in the vastness of his wealth and fortune. And isn't that reflective of the way we live as God's people? We live, sadly, as spiritual paupers. We do not grasp nor understand the riches that we have in Christ. And it's reflected in our praying of asking for material things. It's reflected in our preaching. It's reflected in our practices. In our pondering of things. In our priorities. You see, we do not fully grasp. The spiritual blessings that's ours in Christ, these spiritual blessings are infinite. And it's all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And Paul is saying, I'm praying for you so that you can comprehend, so you can grasp the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Oh, how we need to realize and and discover how rich we are in Christ. We need what's in our head to become the very stuff and substance of our heart. So there's the focus of our riches in Christ. But think also of the foundation of our riches in Christ. If you look at our text, it says, The eyes of your understanding being lightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Underline the little word, his. His. Notice it's not your calling, but his. You see, the word call is used in the Bible in two senses. The general call of the gospel. The Bible says, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I believe that. That is God's call to all men. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And I make no apology at all for preaching... Repent ye and be converted. Someone said to Charles Haddon Spurgeon one time, the Prince of Baptist preachers, that he should only preach to the elect. Spurgeon said, you're right, I don't know who they are. But here you are, here's a piece of chalk, go you round the back uh, of the congregation that gather this Lord's Day or Lord's Day evening and mark them with an X on their back. And I will preach to them. And the man replied, but only God know who they are and Spurgeon says you're right. The Lord knows them that are his. It says, but let them that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's why there's the free offer of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of the personal work of Christ is preached to all men. And I'm glad that the Free Presbyterian Church stands for the free offer of the gospel. There's the general call of the gospel. And we say to man unashamedly, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the words here, the hope of his calling, is not the general call of the gospel. The word call here is used in relation to the effectual call. It's his calling. The effectual call always accomplishes God's purpose. Listen to the word in Romans chapter 8 and in the verse 30. We read there in Romans 8 and verse 30 these words. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, that means chosen, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice the wording here. Notice the sequence here. You see, the effectual call of God is a call that actually saves the sinner. It changes and transforms the one called. The dead sinners called to life. The deaf sinner is called to hear the word of the Lord and he's given ears to hear and the blind sinner is called to see and he begins to see and understand. You see, the hearts and minds of men are so wicked and so depraved that they're dead in trespasses and sins. They're blind to all that God is. They're they're deaf to spiritual things and the voice of the Lord. Remember what we read there in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1 and in the verse 14. A very important reference. And the Apostle Paul says this in Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse... Um, sorry, it's First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14. He, he says this. Um, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. First Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Paul says in Ephesians 2 and 1 here, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And if we have great riches in Christ now, and great riches that's going to be revealed in heaven that's awaiting us that we must grasp and realize, how can we? The answer is we need a new heart. We need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. We need to experience the hope of his calling. Think of Nicodemus. Remember what the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see there means understand. Before he enters it, he must understand the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He said in verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. You see, you can't see nor grasp the kingdom of God. You can't know it and realize spiritual truth and understand spiritual things, even things to do with eternal life and things with, about heaven and home, until you're born again. That's born of water and, and born of the blood. And the reference to water in John 3 and 5 is, is the word of the gospel. Do you know that the Scriptures of Truth is a miraculous book? The word of truth comes to the sinner. Comes to that individual soul. Summons that individual to repent and believe the gospel points them to the son of God, uh, talks about his person and work, and the Lord uses that word. The Lord uh, causes that soul to become awake. The Lord creates the spirit of faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and as if the light is switched on, and the Holy Spirit uses that word as a revelation of light and truth to bring that sinner uh, to the new birth. Isn't this exactly what Peter says? In 1 Peter chapter 1 and in the verse 23, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You see, here's the application. God's salvation, your eternal hope, doesn't rest in your calling in Christ. No, you must call in Christ. That's your responsibility. You choose Christ. But the emphasis here is not on His call to you, it's His choice of you. Realize that God has proposed in His heart and mind in eternity past to save you in Christ. So with all your struggles today, your failures, your sins, your shortcomings, your backslidings, your doubts, your weaknesses, think about the hope of His calling. The word hope contains a subjective element. It stirs the emotions, it thrills the heart. This hope is sure and certain, but it also has an objective content. I want you to know that hope in these two ways, subjectively, that it thrills your heart, and objectively, for it's not a vague, wishful thinking kind of hope. Now let me ask you this question. Do you know, have you experienced the hope of his calling? Do you know that God has called you to salvation? That your faith did not originate with your own sinful, feeble human will. But but your faith originated with the sovereign, eternal, powerful will of God. God renewed your will. God drew you to Christ. God caused you to, to come to Christ. Do you know this? You see, God will fulfill every promise to us in Christ. If he's given us Christ, he has given us all things. Remember what we read in Romans chapter 8. And we read this in the verse 32. It says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? All things, including the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now let me ask again. Do you know this? Have you experienced the hope of your calling? Do you know that you're in Christ? Because if you know Christ, and you know that you're saved, then know this, that God will fulfill every promise to you and him, and there's nothing in him that he'll withhold. That's the foundation of the riches in Christ. Now, notice thirdly, here's the heart of the message: the features of the riches in Christ. Think of your position in Christ. If you look again at our text, it says, "And what the glory of the what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints." Think of your position in Christ. You're now in him. You're accepted in the beloved. You're so united to Christ. You're you're now in saving union with him that God is going to confer on you the fullness of the inheritance that's found in his son. You're so united to Christ that God is going to give you all of that inheritance, not a slice of it. But the fullness of it, all the inheritance, not only access to it, but an inheritance that's actually yours now and in the world to come. Think not only of your position in Christ, but think of your possessions in Christ. What a prayer. Is this not a big prayer of the Apostle Paul? And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He didn't just pray that you would know God's inheritance in the saints. That that would have been a tremendous prayer, a tall prayer. But he goes taller than that. Know the glory of God's inheritance. Well, it's not even that. It's more than that. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see, this inheritance comes from God. If you look with me at Ephesians 1 and verse 11, it says there, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. So you've obtained it already in Christ. You've been given the earnest of it. It says in verse 13, You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. So so there you've got the down payment. You've not only obtained it, it's yours now. You've got the down payment. And then he goes further and mentions in verse 18, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. See, this inheritance is stored up. And Paul prayed the same prayer for the church at Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1 and in the verse 12, this is what he prayed there. Um, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of Christ in light. He also mentioned it in Acts chapter 20, uh, whenever he was leaving Ephesus for the very last time. He says in Acts 20 and verse 32, speaking to the Ephesian elders. So there's correlation here. Uh, This is what he says in verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up. And to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. So it's not only for the church at Ephesus. It's among them all that are saved and sanctified. God has an inheritance for his people. And he's giving it to his people. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment. And, and all, it's all of God's people equally. Because they're all purchased by the blood. They all belong to God. They're all blessed because they're all heirs to a vast fortune now and in heaven. God's their father. Jesus Christ is their savior. The Holy Spirit indwells them. They've been born of the Spirit. They're they're being led by the Spirit. Oh, can we appreciate the possessions that we have in Christ? Can we appreciate the value that God places on you and me in Christ? I asked you, how rich are you? Are you grasping for the riches of this world? You think of this world's goods, all its material possessions. I would say to you, young people, don't run after the riches of this world. Do you know, no matter how rich you are, a millionaire or a billionaire, there'll still be miserable riches. They'll not last. that they'll certainly not give the thrill that the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints gives? I would say to you, don't live to lay up treasure here on earth. Stop living for to lay up treasure here on earth. Why is this so wonderful? Why is it so glorious? Why is it so glittering this morning? Here's the answer. It's the riches of the glory of his inheritance. What is that? I believe this morning... It is God Himself, and if we have an inheritance that's God Himself, then we receive all that God is—the glory of God. All is revealed of Himself. We have such a limited, a poor, uh, shallow view of God in our day and in generation. Remember our catechism, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Oh, oh, that we could rediscover God's self-existence. How transcendent he is. How eminent he is. A God of infinite grace. A God with whom is plenteous redemption. A God of goodness. A God of justice. A God of honesty. A God of holiness. A God of purity. Oh, that we knew God. God is. And the very perfection of God, remember, has been manifest in Christ. It's revealed in the face of Christ. Remember what John says in John 1 and verse 14. He made this tremendous statement. He said this in John 1 verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Can you behold the glory of God? You see, here's one that you would want to spend all your time with. One that you would never be bored of. One in whose company you cannot bear to be without. You you hate it if this one is not there. And you're growing in love and in knowledge and in a deeper appreciation of him. And what I'm saying this morning is the greatest gift of all is the gift of himself in Christ. And that relationship has begun now. And we're in a journey towards the fullness of the relationship. And one day we'll be welcomed into heaven and home. And we'll bask in the fullness of it all. That's your possessions in Christ. Think of your prospect. We live our lives here and now. We live our lives with joys and sorrows. We live our lives in relation to relationships with family, job, school, university, work. We live our lives that are full of problems. And we often ask, well, what's the most practical solution to life's problems? And here's the answer. Ponder the prospect that you have in Christ. Our inheritance is God Himself and being with God, and God's inheritance will is bound up in Christ. See, God has an inheritance. The tester died, the Lord Jesus, and God's inheritance as His people. God promised His pe- His Son an inheritance, all that He died for in Christ. And one day he's going to welcome them through the front door to heaven. One day there's going to be a party in heaven. The Arnolds wrote the book, Some Party in Heaven. Why? Because we're meant to enjoy God. We're meant to enjoy God now and enjoy him for all eternity. And there's our prospect. Now think of your priority in Christ. You see, Paul is praying that the church at Ephesus would know this. That they would discover what it is to look beyond their past. Their present problems, past all their regrets, their mistakes, their sadness, their pain, their tears, their trials, their persecutions, and that they would look up and they would think of their position I'm in Christ, and they would think of their possessions. All that's in Christ I'm an heir of God And a joint heir with Christ And all that Christ is and has is mine And, and the prospect is That I can enjoy it now And one day I'm going to enter into the fullness of it uh, And we look forward to that We look forward to the future Of our inheritance And we say well I've got the earnest now I'm born of the spirit And I want to grow in my understanding Of how just rich I am And I want the riches of Christ To thrill me today The sad thing is no believer can have any part of this. They're not in Christ. They have no possessions in Christ. They have no prospect. So they have no priority to live for Christ and love him and be loyal to him. They're outside of him. Their name's not on the list. They're not a joint heir. They're not an heir of God. Could I appeal to you who are listening this morning without Christ? Remember the story that the Lord Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven a man was digging in a field. He discovered a treasure there. And he sold all the possessions that he had to buy that field. Because once he bought the field, the treasure became his. Uh, think of the kingdom of heaven being like the pearl of great price. Again, the man discovered a peril. And, and he was willing to sell all that he had to buy the peril. The treasure in the field, the peril of great price. Well, that is Christ. We're to live in the enjoyment of Christ now because we're heirs of Christ. Don't don't think about a scheme to make money. Think about the best deal. The best deal is bound up in God's Son. If he's given us Christ, remember what he says in Romans 8 and verse 32. I've read it. Let me read it again. He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with them? also freely give us all things? It'll be worth it all when we're seeing Christ face to face, when we're with Christ. Oh, down here with persecutions, down here with sufferings, down here with trials and tears. But let's remember, here's the features of our riches in Christ, our position. I'm in Christ. I've got all these possessions. And many more. I've got this prospect. One day I'm going to be with Christ. Which is far better. And I make it my priority. To live for Christ. And to love him. And be loyal to him. Let me finish this morning. Over there in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 10. We read in verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Never be ashamed of Christ. Think of the Son of God being the best deal that you could ever have. And your priority is to grow in that, to, to know that deeper and better to the honor and praise of his name. Let me ask you, do you know that Christ is the greatest treasure in the world, that he alone is the pearl of great price? Are you confessing him before men? Have you believed in your heart unto salvation and you're not ashamed to say that you belong to Christ, that you're his, your blood-bought and spirit born? I trust this morning that we'll discover how rich we are in Christ. I've only scratched the surface. This is a tremendous prayer, a tremendous subject. Here's just one out of the five petitions. But I leave this thought with you. Discover how rich you are in Christ. And the Lord bless you. And make it practical as you live out your life before him today. Thank you for listening.